0: listening to the Lima Community Church podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning again. It's great to be with you all today. We're glad you're here. As I think back through the sermon series that we've done that I've been part of over the last 9 years here at Lima Community Church, I have to say that the summer series are some of my favorites. I think back and remember uh, Prophets, and I think we actually did Prophets for two, two different summers. We did a series in the summer on the parables of Jesus. We even tackled the 10 Commandments one summer. And uh, this, this summer is no different. I've really been looking forward to this series on Sunday School Stories. I thought Justin just got us off to a terrific start last week. I learned some things that I had never known before about these stories that are so familiar, the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. I learned things that helped me as I prepared to speak this week. And so I wanna just invite you, I know summer is a time when we travel a lot and maybe some of you weren't able to be with us last week. If you missed the opening uh, message in this series, I wanna invite you to just go to the church website and uh, check that out. You might wanna do it right now. It'll be better than today's message. Um, just seriously go and, and check out uh, last week's message. It was a great, great start to the series and uh, I know that you will be... Um, challenged by what was shared. And so we're going to go on to another story today, another Sunday school story. And, and today's story is two stories rolled into one. And these stories are found in three of the four gospels. The one that we're going to look at today is the passage in Mark's gospel. Now, Mark, Mark is my favorite gospel. Mark is a very vivid Storyteller, and there are places in Mark's gospel where uh, where I feel like the story really comes to life. And one of the moments in his gospel is that where that happens is is the story we'll read today. Mark's gospel is mostly based on Peter's eyewitness account of Jesus's life, and we know that Peter was was pretty close to the action, right? Peter was what we might call an insider. He subscribed to Jesus Plus. Oh, come on. That was a, that was a pretty good one. That's not even in my notes. I just now came up with that. And I thought, I, I don't know, I thought it was not bad. But Peter, well, okay, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Peter was, Peter was invited to see things that not everybody got to see. He was in the inner circle. And today is one of those stories as well. It's a place where Peter got invited to, uh, to see some things in the story that not everybody got to see. The story we're gonna read today is one that I have always loved. And as I read it and prepared this week, I was reminded that, that God's word is a living word. It's like a river. You know, you can come to the same passage, uh, just like you can come to the same place in a river, uh, but it's not the same place. You know, that water has flowed by and you're at, at different water. And that's how it is in scripture. I've read this story. I've known this story since I was a little boy. And yet this week I saw new things. The Spirit showed me things and I was challenged as I prepared to preach. And that, that is exactly what we hope for you in this series. We hope that you will encounter some maybe familiar stories, but see something new in them and be challenged by God's word in a new way. And so we're in Mark chapter five today, beginning with verse 21. The word says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and pleaded with him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so Jesus went with him. Well, things are pretty straightforward so far. The first thing we see here is Jesus returning to Galilee from the Decapolis. Now, last week, we learned about these two regions. If you remember, we even had a map up on the screen that talked about Galilee and the Decapolis. And the Decapolis was the land of the, do you remember? The seven Decapolis was the land of the seven. It was the Greek or the pagan, the Gentile place. Whereas Galilee, where Capernaum was, was the land of the 12. It was the Jewish area. Now, this passage in Mark doesn't say that Jesus returned to Galilee. But what it says is he returned, he he crossed the lake again by boat or he crossed the sea again by boat. And we know that he must have been going to Galilee because he encountered a Jewish religious leader, which he would not have encountered in the Decapolis. And so Jesus is back in Capernaum, back in Galilee, back in the land of the 12, and and this Jewish leader, Jairus, has tracked him down. Now to Jairus, Jesus was an outsider. Even even here, relatively early in Jesus's ministry, Pharisees were already beginning to be upset with Jesus. The things that he was teaching, the way he was teaching them, the, the way that he was causing people to reinterpret the law... Jesus was not making friends with the Jewish authorities even early in his ministry. And so most leaders of local synagogues, people like Jairus, most of them were keeping their distance from Jesus. They they probably were in a little bit of a bind because they recognized that if we have this miracle worker, this teacher come, it will probably bring some excitement to town, right? It'll probably cause maybe some, uh, some people to pay a little bit more attention to what we have going on. But we also know that it might bring some unwanted attention from people who are in authority over us. And so for the most part, they, they kept their distance from Jesus. They steered clear of him. But Jairus, well, Jairus was desperate. And Wouldn't we all be if we were in his shoes? Jairus had a daughter who was terminally ill and was near the point of death. And Jairus had heard what Jesus was capable of. Jairus knew Jesus could heal his daughter. And so Jairus, he he goes through a thought process that any one of us would go through. Why worry about political controversy or religious drama when my daughter is about to die. I'll, I'll deal with the fallout later. And so Jairus falls at Jesus's feet, not out of worship, but out of desperation. And Jesus has compassion and agrees to go with Jairus to see his daughter. Now I told you that these are two stories rolled into one, and so as we continue in the text, at the end of verse 24, you'll see the second story start to emerge. The passage says, a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his cloak, I will be made well. Immediately, her flow of blood stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my cloak? And the disciples said to him, you you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? Jesus looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jairus is not the only person in need of healing who has tracked Jesus down. Here we have a woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years and the text tells us she had spent all her savings on medical treatment and had gotten worse instead of better. This is an incredibly despairing and disheartening situation for her. But she too had heard about Jesus. And she believed that if she could just touch his garment, she didn't even have to touch his skin. If she could just touch his garment, she would be healed. And so she, she joined in with the crowd and worked her way into proximity with Jesus. Now, she would have had to disguise herself at this point because she was an outcast, she was unclean according to Jewish law and so she would not have been welcome in any kind of a crowd and so she has concealed her identity in some way and has worked her way into proximity with Jesus and she reached out and touched the hem of his robe and she is immediately healed of her disease. And Jesus stops right away, and the text tells us this fascinating thing that he felt the power go forth from himself. Now, this woman believed she could be healed just by touching Jesus' clothes, and she thought he would never even have to know about it. Now, that, my friends, that is faith. She thought he'd never even have to know about it. But Jesus, he does know. And he stops and says, who touched me? And now the disciples, they, you know, they're a little bit baffled. The disciples, he, he asks this question and they just look at him and then they, ju- they it's like, Jesus, don't, don't you see how many people are crowded around you? How can you ask who, t-? every one of the, Don't be ridiculous, Jesus. Like, that's what I hear the disciples saying in this this moment. What, What the passage teaches us clearly is that the woman was not healed simply because she touched Jesus. Otherwise, every person in that group who accidentally bumped into him would have been healed of whatever ailed them. You got a migraine and you brush up against Jesus, gone. A little bit of a bellyache, you know, touch elbows with Jesus, no problem. You know, go back to eating, I don't know, whatever you want to eat. And furthermore, Jesus would have, according to the text, Jesus would have felt power go out from him every time somebody bumped into him, right? I mean, every time somebody brushes up against him, he would have felt that power leave because that's what the text says happened. He felt the power go forth from him when the woman touched him. Everyone who happens to brush up against Jesus is not miraculously healed in this passage. Instead, a person who touched Jesus with the intention of being healed and with the belief that Jesus could heal her, she is the one who was healed. And that is exactly what Jesus tells her. In verse 34, he says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, This is quite a story in itself, but do you remember what got us here in the first place? You remember that we were in the middle of another story and it was kind of an urgent story. Can you imagine Jairus during this part of the story? Right, I mean, isn't this Jairus? I think he's biting his nails a little bit. And I think he's thinking, would you hurry it up? Like my daughter is about to die and you st- You stopped. Why did you stop? Can't you see Jairus? There, there's something important in the text here that I don't want us to miss. And so before we go back to Jairus, I want you to just consider this. Jesus, who was on his way to the home of a synagogue ruler, an important and a respected person in their society. He has been interrupted by and has engaged with one of society's outcasts. This woman's condition would have caused her to be separated from the community for 12 years. If there is is a spectrum of social status you can't find two more opposite ends than these two people. Jairus and this unnamed woman are at complete opposite ends of this spectrum. And there is great irony here. Jesus has stopped to heal a woman who would have been excluded from the very fellowship that Jairus led. Status is of no importance to Jesus. When the woman interrupts him, he is not too busy for her. I believe that Jesus's willingness to be interrupted is a good lesson for us. Have you noticed these days what people say when you ask them how they're doing? Tell me what you think they say. Some people say fine, I'm wondering if I heard it. I think I may have heard it, busy. That's what people say. And that's what, sometimes that's what I say. Sometimes because it's just true. We're just busy, right? We're a busy group of people. Carrie and I have joked at our house that it's like Western society has decided to participate in a great big game of the stress Olympics. And I am going for the gold, baby. And you think you're busy? You have no idea what busy is. I mean, I'm, I only work on Sunday, so it's not that big of a deal for me. But (laughs) one of my favorite authors is a, a late Catholic priest named Henry Nowen. Really, really early in my ministry, I read a quote by him that I have tried to remember and I've tried to live by, although I will confess that I have not always succeeded. And I think we're gonna have the quote up here on the screen for you. now. And said, my whole life I have been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work. I think that's what Jesus knew. Jesus didn't mind being interrupted by this woman on his way to Jairus' home. And during the interruption, things became worse for Jairus' daughter. Let's return to the text. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, some people came from the synagogue leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the synagogue leader, do not be afraid, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, there's Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to Jairus's house, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is the group of people who are invited along. Did you notice that Peter is one of them? And remember that Mark's gospel is largely based on Peter's eyewitness account. And so Peter witnesses all of what happens here. And later he tells Mark about it and Mark writes it down and we read Mark. Now, this is really amazing, you guys. I don't want this to be lost on us either. When we read this story in our scripture, this is how close we are. I know all the translations and all the years of, you know, I know all that. But Peter saw it happen. He told it to Mark, who wrote it down. And we have a gospel called Mark. That's the one that we're, this is the story we're reading. We're that close to it. So Jesus stopped to heal the sick woman, and while he did, the unthinkable happened. Jairus's daughter died. Now, it may may seem like that's not what happened because Jesus says she is only sleeping, but Bible scholars agree that she had died, and there's good evidence in the text for it. The primary evidence is the presence of the Jewish mourners, the mourning ritual had begun. The weeping and wailing that the text talks about when Jesus got to the house, that had begun and that doesn't begin until someone has died. The book of Matthew, when it tells the story, even says that the flute players were there and that's a significant part of the Jewish mourning ritual. I don't totally understand what, uh, I mean, Jesus, the, the mourners even laughed at Jesus when he said she was only sleeping. Now, again, I don't totally understand what Jesus was doing. I think that there are times in Jesus's ministry where he uses sleep as a metaphor for death. And so that could be what's at play here. I think there's a possibility that Jesus, knowing what he is about to do, is trying to provide some level of comfort to this girl's parents. Uh, The bottom line is a tragedy has happened. And Jesus goes into this dead little girl and he takes her by the hand. And I want you to remember that because it's important. And he instructs her to get up and she gets up and begins to walk around. And those who saw it were overcome with amazement, the text says, and wouldn't you be? I mean, this this little girl was dead and Jesus raised her from the dead. Now I wanna show you one of the reasons I love this story so much. I want you to look again with me at verse 41. Taking her by the hand, Jesus said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. Now, do you notice the the insertion of these two strange words right in the middle of our English text, talitha kum? It's really rare in our text today for the Aramaic language to be included, but that's what we have here with these two words. So let's talk about the language of the day real quick. Jesus and his followers certainly knew Greek and could speak Greek when needed. And Greek is the language the New Testament was originally written in. And so when Mark was recording this story, he was writing in Greek, but Greek was not their primary language. Aramaic was the language Jesus most likely used in his day-to-day life, in his interactions with his disciples, in his teaching to mostly Jewish crowds, Jesus probably spoke Aramaic and Jairus, a synagogue ruler, would have spoken Aramaic in his home as well. So I want you to picture this story with me. Okay, remember again that Mark's gospel is based on Peter's eyewitness account. And Peter has just witnessed literally the most unbelievable thing he has ever seen. He has just watched something happen that he never could have imagined. A little girl who was dead is alive again. It's a really big deal what has happened. Peter watched Jesus raise a girl from the dead and later on Peter is telling the story to Mark and as he's sharing the story in Greek, because that's how Mark is writing it down, Uh, Peter gets to this part and says these two words in Aramaic. Peter says to Mark, and you gotta imagine that I'm speaking Greek. I can't really do it, but just imagine that I'm speaking Greek, okay? And and Peter says, and then Jesus took the little girl's hand and said to her, Talitha kum. And I can just see Mark just pull the, Pent the quill, whatever he's writing with, up off the paper and look at Peter and say, Why did you just switch to Aramaic? And I can imagine Peter looking at Mark saying, I didn't even realize I did. The miracle was so etched, so embedded in Peter's mind that the only way he could remember it was exactly how it happened. It made such a deep impression on Peter that he just had to tell it that way. And that's the way Mark recorded it. It's one of the reasons I love Mark's gospel because you get these little hints, these vivid pieces of the story because it is told by someone so close to the action. Well, Mark is is a vivid storyteller for sure, but he is also a strategic one. There's no question that Mark tells these two stories the way that he does, not only because they went together chronologically, which obviously they did, but because they also went together thematically. So consider with me the, the things that they have in common. Both stories contain a source of impurity in Jewish law the woman with continuous bleeding, and the body of a dead little girl. These are sources of impurity according to Jewish law. And both stories contain incredible exhibits of faith and belief. The woman, her faith healed her. And Jairus is invited by Jesus to not fear, but to only believe the sick woman has the very faith that is called for in the story of Jairus' daughter. And so Mark tells the stories in the way that he does and encourages us to interpret them through the lens of one another. So in these stories, Jesus encounters two sources of ritual impurity, but Jesus is never made impure. You see, that was what the law said. The law said that if a righteous person comes into contact with something that is impure, then a time of cleansing was needed before that person could return to society. But Jesus, Jesus is touched by an impure woman and he touches the body. He takes the hand of a dead little girl And he is not made impure. Instead, what was impure is restored to life. The little girl, well, she is literally restored to life. She is literally resurrected. The sick woman, she's restored to life in the sense that she's able to be welcomed back into her community, no longer an outcast because of her disease, and that sounds like a restored life to me. What Jesus shows us in these stories today is that holiness, righteousness, these are not things to be isolated or protected, but holiness is demonstrated in contact with the excluded. Holiness is demonstrated in contact with the impure. Holiness is not a condition we reach and then isolate ourselves in order to protect that condition. Holiness is only holiness when it is lived in relationship, shared with those in need, put into practice by restoring, redeeming, recreating, and resurrecting. Holiness is bringing God's kingdom to the sick and to the dead. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, thank you for how you teach us through your word. Thank you for how you speak to us even today through your word. Lord, thank you for Um, Inviting Peter to come along to see things that he would later tell to Mark who could write them down so that we may have them today. So that we may be familiar with the stories that changed the world. Lord, we pray today that you would help our, um, our attitudes to be like Jesus. That status would not matter to us that even if we were on the way someplace important and we got interrupted by something that seemed unimportant that we might pay attention and question whether that was something that you had placed in our path. Lord, as we strive to be holy as you are holy, we pray that you will show us that holiness is not to be lived in isolation but is only holiness when it includes contact with those who are excluded and outcast from society. Thank you for how you did not abolish the law, but that you fulfilled it. Thank you that when you touched things of impurity, uh, it wasn't that they made you impure, Jesus, but that you restored them to life. And we thank you for restoring us to life. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me, if you would, before we go. I have a a closing thought for us this morning. Consider how the faith of the bleeding woman was the channel through which Jesus' power flowed. Now this is an oversimplification, there's just no perfect metaphor, but if the healing power of Jesus were electricity, what this story tells us is it needs a good conductor. The people who bumped up against Jesus, who who happened to brush elbows in the crowd, well, they were not very good conductors. But the woman with faith, her faith was the conductor. It was the conduit. It was the channel through which Jesus could work. And so my invitation, my question for us this week, are we just brushing up against Jesus or are we connecting with him in such a way that our faith can make us well? I wanna be a good conductor for Jesus this week and I hope you do too. God bless you as you go. Thanks so much for being here today. Have a great week, everybody. And happy fourth. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.